Wonderful. Good morning. I am humbled by my worship service this morning. I'll be honest with you, the, the reason we sing the uh, He is Worthy song, that is on my Saturday night, Sunday morning jam session with my little girl. Uh, and I begged Weston, please sing this song, and he did. So thank you for singing that. I love it. I love it. Um, if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to the book of Luke, chapter 8. We'll get started. We'll go quickly. Um, and I'll be honest with you, when I, when I got this passage, I was a little bit nervous. I mean, I mean uh, my brother Kevin texted me and said, hey, you're preaching on the demoniac of Gadara. Oh, great. Good vibes. All right, I love it. All right, so I started to study a little bit, and it's amazing to me how much I learned from this passage and how much of the passage intertwines with earlier verses, etc. So as you turn there, Luke chapter 8, I want to tell you a story about a man that I met, and his name's Mike. Okay, I love Mike. Uh, Mike's a, a kind of a different dude. He's from uh, Seattle, Washington. Can't hold him against him. That's where he's from. Uh, and so he uh, grew up there, and he had a really kind of a troubled background. He came from an abusive home, things of that nature. So he decided to just leave home when he was about 14 or 15, and he never went back. He was homeless for several, several years, and he lived out on the streets, and, um, and he kind of got this reputation for kind of getting into this uh, rougher crowd, I guess you could say, and he wanted to look it purposely. So he had like this big green mohawk, like the individual spikes. I totally want that hairdo, by the way. Uh, and then he also, he had like the, the, like the spiked cufflinks, and he, he just was big and bad and mean. He talked as mean as he could to everyone he met. He was just rough. And he kept going to this place because he was homeless, and his church kept handing out food. And he, and he, by large, he said, I was an atheist. I thought the whole idea of religion and a loving God was nothing more than a farce. And my life had been so difficult that, obviously, I, I assumed it confirmed it. But I wanted to see what kind of Kool-Aid these guys were drinking, so I decided to go visit their little church. He said, I made sure to wear my big Marilyn Manson shirt and make sure the mohawk would look good. That way I could try to get a rise out of somebody. So he went in, he walked to the back, and he was expecting some sort of reaction. He said, but everyone was super nice, and I thought they were super creepy. Uh, so I just went and I sat in the back row, and I just crossed my arms, and I said, I'm not talking to any of these wackos, right? I'm just going to see what they're, what they're all about. So he's sitting back there, and they go through the service, and handshaking time came by, and he's just like me. He's like, yeah, I just kind of went to the bathroom, avoided that altogether, right? Because secretly I'm an introvert. And so then, um, and then uh, later on, he said the preacher started preaching, and he said he started to get a little nervous. He said it was weird. I, I've never felt this kind of like emotional thing going on. He said, I didn't know. He said, I left mid-service and took a smoke break because it was freaking me out, okay? He said, I came back, and he said, I, I just couldn't ignore this guy. I felt like he was just pointing straight at me. I'm like, this guy's been following me all week. I don't like him. All right. So he said, I left. I didn't do anything that week. So I left. He said, but it intrigued me enough that I came back for the next three weeks. And I did the same thing every time, sat in the back row, somewhere mid-sermon, took my smoke break and came back. He said, but it just, it kept getting more and more real to me as I sat there. He said, finally, by around week four or so, he said, I just broke down. And he went up and he met this guy, the youth pastor there is named Greg Adams. He's a good guy. I know him. And uh, he said that when he first saw Mike coming, he was like, this guy's coming to mug me. I'm dead. But no, he came up and he said, look, I've been here for about a month now. And he said, I've got to figure out what's making y'all so happy. Because I'm miserable. And he accepted Christ right there. Incredible. What happened to Mike? Well, Mike's been a missionary to the Philippines for about 15 years. He's been faithful there. He's in, in, the, in the community that he loves, I find it interesting, he goes to the graveyards in the Philippines. You see, the Philippines by itself is already a poor nation, but the poorest of the poor actually live in the graveyards. 
what they do is they have like those uh, like a little catacomb type thing. They break in, they empty out the graves and set up shop, and that's where they live. Whole communities, you know, four and five kids plus mom and dad just in one little area of the graveyard, and that's their home, and there's hundreds of them. Mike said, you know, I never thought that being homeless would prepare me for ministry in the Philippines. He said, he said in Portland, he said you find out, because you're on the streets, he said you find out that if you sleep in the graveyard, they leave you alone, because who's going to mess with the guy sleeping in the graveyard, right? He said, I was used to it. It doesn't bother me. He said, I go in every week, and they have church service. They, see, they teach kids the gospel, and they teach them doctrine. They've had salvation stories. They have an indigenous pastor there, all because a guy was able to relate to them about living on the streets. And he taught me something. He said, Patrick, here's where I found out that I'm the most fruitful. And if you're going to remember one phrase in a sermon, remember this. He said, the greatest soil for the gospel of God or for the grace of God is in the, in the brokenness of man. He said, where I was scarred and where I was broken was the exact area in my life that God could use the most for his glory. We're going to find that out, that that's actually a gospel principle right here in Luke chapter 8. So we'll begin reading in uh, verse number 4. Hear the word of the Lord. Now as a large crowd was gathering, and the people were coming to Jesus from every town, he said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed some, some fell on the path, and it was trampled, and the birds of the sky devoured it. Other seed fell on the rock when it grew up, and it withered away, and since it lacked moisture... Other seeds he fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. So other seeds fell on good ground, and it grew up and produced fruit, and a hundred times was sown. And he, said this, and he said this, and he called out and said, Let anyone who has ears let him hear. He said, what, do you, what does this have to do with the demoniac? I'm going to tell you. The demoniac is the perfect, perfect story of the good soil. Let's pray and we'll get started. Lord Jesus, thank you so much. For the blessing and the privilege to be able to preach and teach your word. I know that I'm not worthy. I know that without you, I'm incapable. Lord, if I get up here and I, and I say some nice things or, or try to turn a phrase and I don't have your power and your hand on me, we're just all wasting our time. So I ask now, Lord, that you would use me in spite of myself and in spite of my weakness. And I would ask that uh, your spirit and your word uh, would be used greatly here today to touch our hearts and change us so that we do not leave this building the same way that we came in. I ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Amen. So, point number one, there's the parable. We're going to break this down just a little bit to help us understand what's coming next. So, obviously, Jesus goes through this parable, and later on uh, in the subsequent verses, and around verse, uh, I believe it's number 26, etc., and, and when we get to the demoniac, he's going to explain a little bit of how this works. We'll jump to verse 11. In the meantime, it says, Now, the meaning of the parable is this the seed is the word of God. And the seed along the path are those that heard, and the devil comes and takes away the word. So the first soil that Jesus talks about is this kind of this busy travel area that people are just going to walk all over, and the birds come through and eat it. He said, this, this is where some of the seed will fall. He said, what does this represent? Well, this represents the busiest area of our life. I heard a phrase when I was a kid. He said, well, the devil, or an idle, idle hands or an idle minds is, is the devil's playground. But Jesus actually says it's exactly the opposite. He says it's the busy hands and the busy mind that are the devil's playground. So what do you mean? C.S. Lewis wrote a book, and he, uh, it's called The Screw Tape Letters. Has anyone ever read The Screw Tape Letters? Oh, you're my kind of people. 
So I'll be honest with you, in high school, like, I read nothing, okay? I didn't like reading. I like reading history books and watching history, you know, channel. That's about it. But reading when, and me were anathema. I couldn't do it. So I had a friend. His name was John. He gave me a copy of this book, and it was the screw tape letters. And I said, well, this just already just sounds dumb. He's like, just read it. I said, okay, fine. I'll read a book. I haven't read one in three years. So I might as well read one now, right? So I picked it up, and I was enthralled with it. It's all, by, by and large, it's my absolute favorite book. If you haven't read it, read it. Okay, it's my encouragement. By the time the semester was done, I had read it five times. I was obsessed. I've read it a couple more times. I have it on my reading list this year. It's great. Now, if you don't know what it's about, what it is is simply, it is the uh, kind of a dialogue, but you only get one side of it, of a demon talking to his nephew, who's another demon, to help their patient. And by help, I mean destroy utterly. Okay, that was the goal. And screw tapes the, the senior demon. He's writing, writing to his nephew, Wormwood. And he's telling him how to enslave and trap and snare and destroy this guy. And he starts talking to him a little bit about what happens when they get into moments of quietness. He said you have to be careful about those moments, you see, because the, the enemy has revealed himself in all aspects of creation, Romans chapter 1. He says, so what will happen is they'll be sitting there and they'll start to think about things. They'll start to think about life and, and they'll, get, they'll get caught up in things that are, 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 are eternal and things that are beyond where they're at right then and there. He said that's a very dangerous place. He said, what you need to do is you need to hurry them along, get them on their train so they can remember that whatever a chap thinks in in those times of ease and and peace and still is nothing more than wild fancy, and right here and now is reality. That's what they should concern themselves with. The trap was his busyness. God said, I can't use that. We get so busy that we forget to meditate and we get to get real about things that are not temporal but eternal. That's the first bad soil, is the busy soil. There's a second bad soil, he says, this is the rocky place. Now remember, we fight in our flesh, we fight the devil, we fight the flesh, we fight the world. The rocky place represented the flesh. Not what's bad on the surface, but what's bad underneath, right? That was the next place, he said, if you throw it in there, if you've ever gardened or done anything else, go ahead and just try uh, putting a garden on nothing but a rock and like a slab. It's going to be great for weeds, that's about it, Okay. The rest will wither and die. You can't grow anything if there's no root system. The understanding here is a shallow faith, a shallow Christianity. Someone who says, I just want Christ for what he can give me, right? I want to know I'm going to heaven, and that's about it. It's a shallow, uh, non-real, non-depth. There's nothing to it. This is the Christianity who's focused completely on the outside. That we, We come to church, we have a good family, we have a good house, we have a good job, but our faith is nothing beyond that. And it dies. It's unusable. Third, of course, that's the world. That's our greed. That's us so concerned with money and things and prosperity that we forget that none of that ultimately matters. You see, when we get too caught up in what we can achieve in this life rather than what's eternal, then that that kills it. There's a fourth soil. The fourth soil is the good soil, and the thing that amazes me about this whole thing is he doesn't really describe what it looks like. I looked. I tried every which way I could. I got my, my Greek, uh, my Greek uh, work pages and concordances and, and dictionaries out. Nothing, okay? He doesn't describe what the soil is like. And for literally a week, I sat here just pounding my head away saying, what, what correlation does this have with the rest of this passage? And then that's when we get to the demoniac. 
So we have the parable, but then we have the example. So what do you mean? So he tells his disciples, he said, there's this good soil. There's this soil that's very usable. There's a soil that's going to give you a hundredfold more if the Word of God gains access to it. But I'm going to tell you now, it's probably not what they were expecting when he was talking about good soil. Just saying. So they get in a boat, and, they get, and they're on their way. We have the incredible story. He calms the sea, so he obviously has power over, this, over the natural realm. But now he's about to exert his power over the supernatural. Verse 26, now when they sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is opposite of Galilee, when he got on land, a demon-possessed man from the town met him. Okay. This is where it gets a, lo- okay, a lot a bit creepy. All right, it's just, it, it is. I want you to imagine this scene. You just saw Jesus Christ calm a raging storm, and then you pull up shop next to a cemetery. That's where all bad stories start, okay? Nothing good happens here. So you pull up shop, and here you are, you get off this boat, and before you can even really start moving, a madman comes running out of the tombs. To meet you. Yay. All right. In fact, this guy probably has a reputation. We find out in Matthew that he is so fierce. No one even goes near this area because he runs them off. He attacks them. So let's put it this way. Jesus literally just sailed right across to the hood, and he's just stopping by. Like, this is not okay, but that's what's happening. So this guy runs out, and I want you to imagine this image. The guy has no clothes on, and all you can see is probably scars, blood, and a few chains that he's broken. This is not a nice welcome party. He runs out screaming, and you're ready just like, he's going to tear me apart. This is not going to end well. This is bad. And then it continues on. He says, and for a long time he had worn no clothes. He, stayed in, and he didn't stay in the house but in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out, and fell down before him and said in a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, don't torment me. This is something that the disciples hadn't seen. They're used to seeing demonic possessions at this period in time. What they're not used to seeing is a demon begging for mercy. But that's what's happening. This demon runs out and he says, I know exactly who you are. Don't torment me yet. Then he said, for he had gay command of the unclean spirits to come out of the man. For many times it has seized him, though he was guarded, bound by chains and shackles, he snapped the restraints and driven by the demon in desert places. What's your name, Jesus asked him. Now, pause. So why, why, why this name exchange? Well, here's, here's kind of what's going on. So in Jewish understanding, if you know the name of the person, you can control them. And so the demon's actually trying to exhibit a little bit of control himself because he called Jesus by his proper name, Jesus Christ, Son of the Most High God. He's actually kind of, it's not something really respectful. It's actually more of a slight in his face. I'm trying to take control of the situation. Jesus says, what's your name? He responds, Legion. Legion is not his name. That's a threat. He says, there's more of us than there's you here right now. Okay. Time to go. And the demon says, and I'll, I'll, uh, I'll paraphrase a little bit, the demon says, don't send me away into the pit, send me into the pigs. What I thought was amazing, this is just a, a rabbit trouble, but a side note is this, that even the devil knows that Jesus is merciful and asks for a little mercy. <laughs> and how merciful is Jesus that he grants him his request? 
He says, sure, take the pigs. So he goes, and they come running down the hills. It's the only cliff on that side. They come off the sea. Now, by the way, if you would have saw a bunch of pigs running off a cliff, first off, that's going on YouTube. Secondly, this is, this is crazy, right? So they, they, they go out. Now, here's what I want you to imagine. The people are coming out. They've heard that their pigs have died, and they're coming out to kick Jesus out. But now you have this man sitting here. Can you imagine that exchange? He comes to you for the first time in who knows how long. He's bloodied. He's scarred. He's probably embarrassed. They throw some clothes on him. And the only thing he can say is thank you. For the first time in... I actually know where I'm at. This is incredible. People come out. And they kick him out of town. Verse 38 says, The man from whom the demons had departed begged him earnestly to be with him, but he sent him away. So this guy, he's, he's finally got the right side of his mind, and he's able to understand. He says, Jesus, I don't care where you're going. I don't care if they kick you out. I want to be wherever you're at. Please let me go with you. And this is interesting. So if you study the Gospels where Jesus heals other people, the blind, the lame, the sick, he always gives them pretty much the same command. Go, either show yourself to the priest, go back to your family, but then he tells them, but don't tell anybody. Literally. He says, don't worry about it. Now, most of them will go about telling people, but he says, don't tell anyone. But he gives a different command here in Luke. He says, go back to your home and tell all that God's done for you. He said, no, you guys stay here because I have a job for you. You don't realize it, but you're good soil. You need to go back to town. He lived in a region that was called the Capitalist. It's the area of ten cities. He said, you to go back to town, and anybody and everyone you meet, tell them what's happened. So thirdly, there's the result. We don't read about it here in Luke. We read about it in Matthew, and we read about it in Mark. This is not the last time that Jesus would go to this side of town. He would go again. And Mark, it says that when he came back, they realized who he was, and they ran out and brought all the sick to him. Now, you just kicked this guy out of town, but the moment he comes back, everybody's flooded his way. In fact, so much so, so we know about the feeding of the 5,000. Here at this same place, the same place that kicked him out, they had the feeding of the 4,000. Because everyone in those towns came out to meet him. In Matthew, you'll find it says that uh, they gathered all their lame and all their sick and sat for hours for healings and for teachings. What was the change? What was the difference between the people that kicked him out and the people that welcomed him back? And the only logical conclusion that we can find was there was a man who had just been healed by demons that went back and said, you guys, let me tell you what happened to me. You see, this good soil brought fruit. So how does that apply to us? Well, I'll tell you, I had a friend, uh, his name is uh, Mr. David, and he's into, into developing land, and I was talking to him a little bit about it, and he, he said, really, Patrick, he said, the best land for me to develop is farmland. And I said, what? Farmland? Why, why specifically farmland? He said, well, if you get a raw piece of land, they've got uh, rocks in it, you got trees on it, I got, I got a fill here, I got a blast here. He said, it's really just a pain. He said, what I need is ground that's already been broken up. 
He said the good soil is the broken soil. And that's where it clicked. I have two application points this morning. Just two and I'll be done. I want to be good soil. I want to bear fruit like this man. What does that look like? One, embrace your brokenness. The reason this man was so effective is because I can imagine him walking into town covered in scars and he doesn't hide them. He says, Jesus came to me when I was living in the tombs and he changed my life. If he can forgive me, he can forgive you and he wants to if you'll let him. Everyone in here has a story. I don't know what your story is, but everyone's got one. And we all have broken pieces. You know what I mean. Maybe you've been through abuse. Maybe you've been uh, through the loss of a loved one. Maybe you've been through a divorce. Maybe you've been through sickness. These are the broken pieces of your life. Can I encourage you that in those broken areas, that's where you can do the most good to help others. You want proof? Go to 2 Corinthians real quick. 2 Corinthians says it this way. Chapter number 1. 2 Corinthians chapter number 1, verse number 3. Hear the word of the Lord. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Verse 4. He comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any kind of affliction through the comfort we ourselves receive from God. What does that mean? Sometimes when you go through hard things, God comforts you so you can comfort others. That's what that means. Paul says it this way. He says, I had a, an infirmity in my flesh and I begged God to take it away. And God said, no, no, no. You know, in, in your weakness, my strength is made perfect. Your scars, your past, your story is your most effective witnessing tool, period. But often in our lives, we try to put that in the background. We try to cover that up. We just try to forget about it. We try to repress it. We try to hide it. But God has called us, just like this demoniac, to embrace that brokenness and use it for his glory. I worked at a boy's home, boy's boarding school. Now, let me explain something. First off, one, I love working with teenagers. I am forever going to be a teenager in my mind because these kids mess me up. Anyway, now, the reality is I loved it. These guys were, uh, they got in trouble at school. They were on drugs. They were on alcohol. And essentially, their parents or a judge said, you can't stay here. You got to go with Mr. Patrick. All right, so that's where I come in. And these guys would come, and I mean, they had incredible stories. And I remember just trying to relate with them and love on them and, and see God work in their life. And for the first six months, I'll be honest with you, it was like a brick wall. I couldn't get anywhere with these guys. They didn't trust me. There's one kid in particular, his name's Ricky. I love Ricky. Ricky is from uh, Rhode Island. Uh, and he, me and him were talking, and I remember I just felt this barrier I finally looked at him. I said, Ricky, what's up, man? Obviously, you're not listening to me. What, what's the deal? 
I'll never forget what he said. He said, Mr. Patrick, people volunteer here all the time, and they quit. People work here all the time, and they quit. He said, I've seen more people in and out of my life quit on me. He said, six months, fine. Give it a year, you're gone. Just like everyone else. I said, Ricky, can I tell you something about myself that you don't know? He said, sure. I said, I know what that feels like. Look, I grew up in a broken home. I didn't see my dad hardly at all. Every other weekend, right? I had nobody in my day-to-day life who really stood around as a male role model who stayed there with me much. I get it. And I know right now you don't believe me because you haven't seen it, but I can guarantee you this. If you'll let me, I'll never leave you. You'll always have my number. I'll always be your friend, but I need you to trust me. What did I do? I showed him a scar. And I never had another problem with Ricky ever again. I still call him. He's my buddy. Actually, I had him out at wax for a little bit, uh, for a couple days. I mean, that kid is a mess, but I love him. I've never seen more fruit that I was able to impart in a young man's life except for that right there. Because for just a second, I could be broken with him. And it made a world of a difference. Look into your story, into your life this week, into your brokenness, into your hurt, into your pain. Don't hide it, don't repress it, but lean into it for a minute. And ask God, if this is where you can bear the most fruit in my life, where, where can you use that? And run after it. Embrace your brokenness this week so that God can bear fruit in your life. It's a game changer. Number two. Application number one, embrace your brokenness. Application number two, spread the gospel with reckless abandon. I love this part. If you watch the sower, okay, he is the worst farmer ever, all right, period. I mean, he is terrible. He's just out there taking seed and just throwing it around, right? It's landing on the road. It's landing in the thorns. It's landing on the rock. What is this guy doing? He's insane. You say, how do you? Look, I have, at that boy's home, we had to pick strawberries, okay? And I had to plant them. I hate strawberries, Hate them. If you, really, if you really hate me, just like, Brother Patrick got you a gift. Strawberry shortcake. Ugh! Okay, it's terrible. In fact, I was at, uh, I was at my uh, sister's house this week, and uh, it was Cole's birthday. Embarrass him later on the 3rd. And uh, he wanted strawberry shortcake, which basically meant I get to stay on my diet. That's great, okay? So I hated them because we would pick them, and we would plant them, and we had to cover them. It was horrible. But I can guarantee you this right now. If one of those boys would have taken nothing but those strawberry plants and just said, I'm just going to go plant them. (laughs) Okay, you know what? I'm going to kill him. That's what's going to happen. That is not how you do it. That's how this guy was doing it. He's just throwing it around saying, some of it will grow. I mean, like, what is this? Well, I'll tell you why. Because the sower there, it doesn't represent God. It represents us. You see, here's the reality. As we go out through our week, I have no idea where people are on their spiritual life. God knows the hearts. I can only see the outward. God knows that 
some of this, some of them will listen, some of them won't. But that's not my job. My job is not to inspect the soil and decide if I'm going to invest in it. My job is to be like the sower and with reckless abandon, tell everybody. That's it. Let me ask you something. Whose life have you taken five minutes to plant a seed in? To give them something. Your neighbor, the guy across the street, anybody. We're called to make disciples, but I'm afraid that most of the time we forget that part because we're so busy with everything else. I've got like two hours for Jesus, and that's on Sunday. I don't have time for this. We're called to preach the gospel with reckless and utter abandon. Tell everybody. There's an evangelistic ministry. I won't say the name of it because honestly, if I did, most of you know what it is. And they have a letter that they penned and said, this is our motivation. Now, they get letters all the time, right? They get hate mail, they get love mail, they get everything. This was written by a devout atheist, and he said, Mr. So-and-so. He said, I have no interest in your religion because most of your congregants don't either. He said, the reality is this, sir. For one moment, I believe that there was an eternal place of fire and torment and punishment. You couldn't shut me up. I would gladly crawl across broken glass, screaming at the top of my lungs, telling everybody I could, because there is no way that I'm letting anybody with an earshot leave my presence and not know of this place and know of how they can avoid it. He said, but most Christians I see feel as if they have the cure for cancer and they walk down the aisles of the, of the cancer clinic and tell nobody. I will gladly receive your message and I will gladly believe what you teach the moment Christians start believing it too. You see, because belief moves you to action. If you're too busy to tell somebody about the gospel of Jesus Christ this week, you're too busy. That's what we're called as a church to do. If our church is not reaching out to this community and trying to make disciples and trying to make converts and pour into lives of young Christians and people who aren't even believers yet, but we hope they will be, then we aren't doing our job. We're to pursue the gospel and the spreading of the gospel with reckless abandon, or we are selfish at best and evil at worst. My time's up. I try to keep myself around 30 minutes. My time's coming up. Let me encourage you. We're getting ready to have a call of response. I'm terrible at it, so I always hand it over to the elders, okay? I'm just not good at it. But I encourage you this. There's a couple reasons to respond. One, I hope that you'll pray and you'll ask God to help you embrace your brokenness and use your brokenness. Use the hurt areas of your lives to help someone else this week. That's number one. Number two, I hope you'll pray like I have to pray. That God will give us a fervor and a burden to reach everybody we can with the gospel of God because to do less is just straight wrong. And obviously, number three, if you don't know Christ as your Savior, if you have someone who you know that doesn't know Christ as your Savior, hopefully you'll come down and you'll either pray, you'll either get that A settled or B, 
you'll pray that you can help that person settle it. I'll pray and I'll hand it over. Father, thank you so much for the blessings of your word. I ask now that you be with this time of call to response. And I pray that you bless our church and our people. Help us, Father, to embrace our brokenness. And help us, Father, to spread your word with reckless abandon. In your name, I ask all these things, Jesus Christ. Amen.